2: Everyone, hi friends. Welcome back to Barb Knows Best, the podcast. I am your co host, Michelle Maros, and I am here with my mom, Barb. Hi, mom. Hi, Michelle. Do you know best today?
3: I do. <laughs> it's very cute. Very good. Very we cute. love to hear it. Very cute.
2: How is it going today?
3: Uh, I'm getting ready to go on a trip tonight. So it's going, it's actually going well. I woke up at 3 a.m. Because <laughs> you know how I am when I'm getting ready to go somewhere. Plus, I went to bed very early last night, so I had a good seven-hour sleep. So <laughs> it's not like I didn't get enough sleep. So
2: yeah, I'm doing really great. One day, we'll have to do an episode of just the life of Barb because it is wild. The amount of times that you actually do just wake up at three and stay up is, is different. Yes. That, different than most, I think.
3: That does happen to be one of the... Special hours sometimes. And I do go to sleep relatively early. I think probably earlier than most people on most nights. So I do get a good night's sleep and I slept really well last night. And I'm, as always, excited about our conversation today. Me too.
2: Especially since you so kindly allowed us to record on a travel day. No problem. You are a real team player. No
3: worries, honey. I got you.
2: She's got us. So this week, um, I had a fun idea of a topic. We've done some content on social media on this topic, and I wanted to expound upon it because I think that it's really helpful um, for a lot of us, for me especially.
3: I love it. It's something that kind of goes hand in hand with people pleasing a little bit, but also goes hand in hand with codependency which are, there are two things we've already talked about on the podcast. So I think this is this is a very specific, I love, this is a very specific episode. And I love these types of conversations where we actually give, um, I don't know what you call it, like like tips, like do this, do that, do this, do that. This is what works for us. This is what we've tried before. This is what's happening. So I love these kinds of conversations because they're really direct and I think very helpful and useful for life. So yeah, it's going to be a great episode. It sure is, and I do think it's going to be really helpful. I think you're going to people, all of you listening, are going to get some interesting takes on things. And it's interesting. It, what I find very interesting is what we think is necessary for us to do to live our lives.
2: Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, I think that a lot of times in in these personal development conversations, we talk a lot about things that we could do to live a happier life and how we can show up in ways that will make our lives feel more aligned. Um, But how often do we talk about the things that maybe we don't need to do? Oh, true. And get that kind of information of, look, you can do this, this, and this, but maybe spare yourself from spending your energy in these ways because they're not your job, your responsibility, not your circus, not your monkey.
3: <laughs> well, and I think too it'll be a very freeing conversation. I know when you know as we as we often say everything that we share are our own experiences and things that we've been through and the ways we've looked at life and what works best and what doesn't. So I think this will be a very freeing conversation. And for whatever reason, I think it's always fascinating to me. For whatever reason, I don't know why we as humans think that we often need permission to stop doing something that truly is probably not in our best interest most of the time. So it's very cool because I know when I've shared some of these with close friends or we've done workshops or we've done talks on some of these things, people have come up to us and said, oh, thank you so much. I needed to hear that today. I'm so happy. I actually feel like I have permission now to stop doing it. I didn't really like doing it to begin with, or it wasn't serving me, or it definitely wasn't helpful, and it was making my relationships certainly not flow with ease, but more difficult. So, Well, I mean, speaking of permission,
2: it makes perfect sense to me why so many of us live in a... A people pleasing, obedient mindset. One of the um, most common games in school was like, "Mother, may I?" or "Teacher, may I?" You couldn't do anything without asking for permission. Mm-hmm. That was like embedded, at least in my age era wow. of growing up. Of you could not move
3: a muscle unless you asked. May I? That's very cool, Michelle. I never thought of it that way. It's very fascinating to me. And and as I've as I've gotten older and as i have moved along my my path i've i've slowly but surely been taking my power back which we talk about on this podcast as well and it just doesn't make any sense that we ask for permission especially with some of the things we're going to share today it's truly yeah. it's truly our right as a human being to do what we think is in our best interest our family's best interest the world's best interest of course not to harm It's always with that caveat, we are never advocating that it's okay to do something that's in your best interest and harm others, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're truly going to talk about things that really make no sense in my mind as I started to stop having these habits of doing some things that aren't really my job or my responsibility or, as I said, in my best interest or others.
2: Yeah, and going back to the topic of permission... It really is an unlearning that we need, that we all have to do because it is so deeply ingrained in us. When you think about, you know, growing up in um, discipline and things like that, if you were not obedient or asked permission, you were punished. So I think there's that um, deep-seated fear of disappointment or going against an authority figure. Especially if you were raised in some sort of religious, this is coming off the heels of me watching that documentary that was all about obedience in a religious cult. So, it's it's what, well, but I all say that is that it's so deeply ingrained. And it's it can be really really hard to unlearn some of these mindsets because it's been around us for our entire lives. And unfortunately- so, don't be hard on yourself if if like. This is a little bit maybe even triggering of like, what? no, like, how could I stop doing this or give my own self permission because this is how I've always lived my life.
3: And I also feel like it, it makes sense as to why we lose confidence in ourselves or don't feel that we have any power or any control in the outside world because we don't take the power and the control that we have from the inside and actually live our lives in alignment with what we want to do and what's in our best interest and what, you know, sparks our, our dreams and our lives and, and really brings joy and happiness and excitement to ourselves and enthusiasm and living the life that we came here to live. So I think it's really interesting and very cool to to go through this today. So I'm excited. So let's,
2: let's get to it. Let's get into it because we have quite a long list and I want to get through it all so we don't have to do a part two.
3: Okay. I'm ready. Are you ready? I am.
2: Um, This one is a big one, number one. I feel like... This one is one that it might have been hard for you to manage, or for you to release. For me,
3: hmm. I also think it's 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 been one that's been difficult for me. Period. With with any relationship, okay, well, probably. But, but I, I noticed people. It in know, our these life. are what we're kind of going after today. Are like ten things that are not your are job, are not, not your
2: responsibility to let go of the voice inside your mind that this is something that you need to put your energy towards. So number one is managing other people's moods.
3: Yes, this has been a big one for me because I feel like, it's very interesting for me to say this because I think I've said it to you so many times, Michelle, and I've certainly said it very many times in my lifetime. I wake up in a good mood. I wake up truly, I mean, it's my practice. I talk a lot about reflection. I talk a lot about practicing leaving you know, one day in the day as you go to sleep and then waking up the next day to a brand new day. And I truly practice that. I've been doing that for over 35 years. And so I wake up with the intention of this is a brand new day. I don't want to carry over any of the energy or the mood or the disappointment. And not that, please, I'm always saying I don't, I'm don't. i not perfect at it, but I truly do wake up with the intention and having the energy of this is a brand new day. Good morning. And I I say this, repeat this to myself before I get out of bed. Thank you for the gift of this new day. So I don't feel that I wake up in a mood. But having said that, I used to say to Michelle a lot, I wake up in a great mood. Why are you all ruining it? Why are you all taking my mood and just really bringing it down? So of course, other people don't have the power to do that. We allow them to do that. And not all those things but so then I would take on the responsibility of figuring out how can I get you or anyone that I was living with or any person that I was in a relationship with, how can I turn that mood around? How can I get you to see that this is a brand new day and this is our one precious life and you know, what's happening, feel your feelings and let's move on, that kind of a thing. So As
2: you can imagine, her saying all of those things to me probably didn't get the intended outcome. Well, it
3: usually didn't land very well.
2: But I will say, I understand the need to do it, especially if you're someone that grew up in a traumatic or chaotic environment or with people whose moods were very unpredictable. It makes perfect sense to grow up into an adulthood of wanting to be the stabilizer in, the, in your life and wanting to be in control 100%. Um, but it's just not possible to force a mood change And I know as the receiving end of someone who wanted their moods to be managed, first of all, I also am probably still, but I was a moody teenager, child, young adult. I mean, you lovingly would nickname me Oscar the Grouch sometimes.
3: I think you took that on for yourself because you liked him so much, ma'am. But
2: yes, <laughs> you gave me an I Oscar would, the Grouch T-shirt. One, I did, I did. Not in a mean way. I have to say that it was yeah. always loving. Just because I, I could be, you know, I wasn't a morning person. You would wake up excited. I would wake up saying, "Go away, I want to go back to sleep." So that's Oscar in and of itself. But as someone who is on the receiving end of someone who wants your moods to be managed, it doesn't land. And so, if you're someone who is always trying to jump between a part, people and a situation or smooth out all of the wrinkles in a social situation because you're anxious or afraid of big emotions. Just know that trying to control it doesn't work and it's not your job. If someone's showing up to something moody, it's on them to, to cultivate the self-awareness to figure out how to be Okay.
3: Exactly. And even if they are moody, so what? I think that's what I've learned the most. Not only is it not my job, but you're right. I grew up in a very traumatic, chaotic household. And so I was always trying to manage everybody's moods. And, and because I didn't like confrontation, I didn't like things that were going wrong. I didn't like yelling. I didn't like, I didn't like any of that. And I was trying to figure out what could I do. And so I would take on not only the responsibility, but then I, for a while, I started thinking like, I, I must be doing something wrong. Right, Because not only would I take on the responsibility of trying to fix everyone in that mood situation, but I'd also say it's got to be my fault. So now what can I do? And I think that that's, that's where we get into trouble when we think that we need to manage other people's moods or behaviors or attitudes or whatever word we want to call it. Because it it really takes away their responsibility in learning whatever it is they need to learn and whatever's happening, whatever is happening for them in the moment. I think it, as I've grown up... <laughs> I've seen that, wow, not only is it not my job or not my responsibility, I'm really doing a disservice to the other person and to the whole situation by not allowing it to play out and not allowing everyone in the situation to, to come to their own realizations of what it is that they're being asked to do in that moment.
2: Right. And you never know why someone is acting the way that they are. We all wake up and view life through a different lens and have different life experiences. So it's just, we never know. But just to add one more thing, you know, for those of us who kind of identify as empaths, this is one that we very easily can fall into wanting to make everybody okay. And if everybody's not okay, we tend to, you know, absorb and let other people's moods then influence our moods. And I think for me, especially, one of my biggest life lessons has been to not take on the moods of other people and not match an energy just because it's around me. Yes. So just something to be notice in mind, keep in mind.
3: Well, absolutely, because you are an empath, and I think you're right. You, you've known that about yourself, and you see that in yourself, and you've done a really great job of... Noticing it and, and finding some detachment from taking on other people's yeah. energies and other people's moods. Yeah.
2: We can do a whole episode about empaths. I think it might be I good. Have lots of thoughts and we haven't done that yet. Have no.
3: We? And we get a lot of questions about that in our comments. So
2: yeah. All right. Okay. Noted. Number two, um, it's not your job to meet society's expectations of who you quote unquote should be which is obviously something that we've talked about a decent amount on this show. But I think that this is huge. Who made the rules? Who created the timelines? Who says how we show up in the world and what our lives are supposed to look like? When you really zoom out on this topic alone and see why should anybody have a say on what my life looks like, it's actually crazy to, to think about You know, my life is my life. I have my own wants and needs and wishes and dreams and hopes, and it doesn't have to look anything like yours. And that doesn't mean that one is better than the other.
3: And I think this is such a rampant thing for sure in our country. I don't know if it's worldwide or not, but for sure in our country, it's really rampant. And I, I believe all the work that you and I do with teenagers, especially we hear that so much from teenagers, you know, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to be this, I have to go to this school, uh, I really don't want to, I kind of want to do this. There's, I, so I'm thinking that this gets embedded in us at a pretty young age, that we've got to measure up. And so I feel really strongly, what as I've done some work on myself about this, that I believe part of the issue with this is there's so many judgments about what is acceptable and what isn't, and there's also so much comparison If we could just stop with the judgments and stop with the comparisons and really just allow our kids and ourselves to be creative and to go outside the box. We don't need to live in a box. We actually have a whole universe. We have all of creation here. We have all of life, all of nature to dream and to imagine and be curious about what it is we want to do with our lives, or what, what feels so comfortable for us, or feels like it lights us up inside? What is our heart telling us to do? So And I think for me, why this has become so important over the years, we shared this quote from Bronnie Ware, who was a hospice nurse. But I first heard it from my <laughs> best friend Mary, who passed away at a very young age, and she used to work in, in hospice. Uh, from Mary, and she said, "You know, Barb, the number one regret that I hear from all the hospice patients that I work with, and the quote that bon- Bronnie Ware has coined in our work is the number one regret of the dying is I wish I had the courage to live a true life, a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me." And I remember I stopped dead in my tracks when Mary told me this, as we were having a conversation about her work one day. I thought, wow, that's the number one regret, not spending more time with my family or not, I wish I had been you know, more successful in my work or I wish I hadn't worked so hard. That that was it, that I didn't live the life that was true to myself. I was too busy living a life that others expected. And I think that is living a life that people judged as being uh, acceptable or comparing and all of that. So I think it's really worth taking a look at yourselves and really sitting in quiet with yourself and getting in alignment with what, what do you really love? What do you really want? And what kind of impact, which are things that we've talked about on these episodes before, instead of feeling like we have to do things, we have to do things. Mm -hmm. Maybe start exploring and opening up the box a little bit and being a little bit more gracious with yourself and step outside and see what's possible or see what the opportunities could be.
2: Absolutely. And I will say each society has its own cultural expectations and it can be very hard to push back on some of those or to go against the grain. So obviously this is a big one of courage, like you said, and, and an experiment in self-exploration and really seeing like, do society's expectations line up with what I want? Because if so, fine, you know, go at it. But if not, identifying what it is that you do want or what you want your life to look like or even feel like and just slowly <clears throat> slowly but surely allowing yourself to you know step into that and live in that authentic way and ask yourself what would my life look like if other people weren't telling me what to do or who to be you know maybe you'll get an answer that you didn't even expect so it really is a I know it's kind of scary because standing out or being quote unquote different is hard. You know, constantly going against the grain is hard, but I think day by day, if you step into this practice and maybe do one thing or connect with yourself for a little bit longer, just to see who you actually want to show up as it'll start to become more comfortable.
3: Such a good, such a beautiful thing, Michelle. I, I, I remember when I got out of treatment for my bulimia 38 years ago, I remember saying to myself, I, I've, I've, got to, I want to, I've got to stay in recovery. That was my number one intention. So I started amassing all the things that I needed to do to stay in recovery. What were, what were all the support situations in life that I needed to do? What did I need to do? And as I was doing that day after day and week after week, I remember one day sitting down saying, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. This is a lot and this is really hard. And a voice inside of me said... Barb, it's really hard, but it's well worth the journey. And I've never forgotten that because I use that a lot in my work, and I use that a lot in my own life. That everything that we're going to do is going to take courage. That's worth doing, actually, because we really are stepping outside the box when we're when we're really doing something that's truly in alignment. Because when we let go of other people's opinions and expectations, we allow ourselves to truly step into our own authenticity and freedom. You know, we want to be free. Others don't. Others want to kind of put us in a box and tell us what to do. Or society likes to say you have to look like this, you have to act like this, you have to be this, you have to this, that, and the, uh, the other. And so I remember thinking every time some I came up against something that's taken a lot of courage, like going through this divorce, has taken a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. I remember that little voice that said, "But it's a worthwhile journey that you're going to be on, Barb." So maybe just think about that for a little bit and little by little, it's baby steps. If you're not, you know, so many, I just want to also say one more thing first that so many researchers have have said, and we all know this because I think we see this a lot in studies and surveys that the number one thing that people want in life is happiness and success and those kinds of things, you know, with family and friends and relationships and all of that. And how can we be happy and feel successful if we're not actually... Being our authentic selves, feeling free, and doing what it is that our that our soul or our heart or our longing is in life. So it just all goes hand in hand. So being cognizant of what it is that you want and being in alignment with that, and taking little baby steps to get there, I think is a worthwhile journey.
2: Absolutely,
4: absolutely. Uh, let's take a break. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat. Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket
0: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
2: And we're back. All righty, number three, moving right along. You are not responsible for filling your parents' dreams.
3: Kind of goes in alignment with what we just talked about, too, a little bit. That idea of pressures and... I but know. a little
2: bit of a different dynamic because sometimes parents can really add an additional um, layer of
3: pressure. Oh, definitely. We talked about that a few minutes ago with the teens that we work with. For sure. For sure. There is an underlying... I mean, even if the parents don't say it, I remember... we. I, I grew up poor. I mean, I grew up... We barely had enough money to make ends meet. So... I won some scholarships to go to college, but I didn't go. It wasn't enough. And plus I was working at McDonald's and, you know, I'll know my story, became a manager and all of that stuff. And it's what I wanted to do and thought, well, maybe later one day I'll go back to college. But I knew when I made that decision, because I knew that even though we couldn't afford it, my parents, they were going to take out loans or they were going to do whatever it was, I think, because it, in their minds, you have to go to college. I mean, that was just the thing. And so I knew that I was disappointing them and they were incredibly disappointed and just very... Very upset, actually. So it's really interesting how we can start little by little to release that need for other people's approval and stand strong in what it is. And I remember feeling like this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to do. And then ultimately I ended up owning my own restaurants and all of that. So Everyone was happy with what the decision that I made years later. So it's very interesting. And I think one of the reasons they were happy, because not only was I successful, I really liked what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the work that I was doing at the time. So it's it's very interesting. It's difficult with parents, of course, but I think mostly parents want you to be happy. I know my parents wanted me to be happy. I think it's why that they came around and really kind of forgot the fact that I didn't even go to college And I think if we're happy and comfortable in our own skin, that's the ultimate life that we could live doing what it is that we're being drawn to do.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, obviously not as a parent, but as someone who (laughs) had parents, um, if there's a way to just be in a, a safe communication with your child, like check in with yourself about why you're maybe putting pressure. But again, knowing that you can disappoint people and it's okay, just don't disappoint yourself.
3: It's really important, I think, to do that. And it's you really, it's not, it's not your responsibility to give your parents a chance to redo their lives if that makes any sense, or to live, live their lives through you. Uh, you're really here to live yours. Yeah. So. Not easy though. It's not an easy thing.
2: No, it's not. None of these are. All right. Number four, moving along. It is not your job to assume responsibility for what other people do to themselves. This is a tough one. Allow people to have their own consequences for their actions and not feel that knee jerk reaction to step in or make things better. This is a a big people pleasing one.
3: It is, but it's also it's a people pleasing one, but I also feel like because I because I can fall into this, I also feel like when we are living in situations in life and family situations where there's addiction and there's you know alcohol drugs or any kind of um, unusual behaviors, it's it's almost automatic, I think, without us even realizing it that we want to fix it. We want, we, want, we want to tell them what they're doing wrong. We want to help them or we want to say, hey, stop doing this. You're, you're ruining your life and you're ruining our lives or whatever it is that we say. And I think it's really hard. It's very, very hard to let people learn the consequences of their own actions and to try to be loving and caring, but not take responsibility and not think that it's our job to fix them uh, or, or do something for them.
2: But I think one of the biggest disservices for people is to try and um, go between someone's actions and their own consequences to keep the peace.
3: Oh, I agree completely. It's still hard, especially... Oh, no, it's hard, but
2: I think if you can start to think about, I can't control someone else's actions if they do something that has a difficult consequence or something that's very painful. I can't fix that for them. And... I can't take on their pain. This isn't my mistake to mend. This person has to have the consequences for themselves. And maybe in that consequence would bring about changed behavior. Definitely. I mean, I think I know I have someone in my life who I feel like has never had a consequence for their actions in their whole lives, seemingly. And I think about all the people that let this person off the hook constantly And that did not do this person any service. That did not make this person a better person. It just made this person think that they could make mistakes and always get away with it or do bad things and get away with it. And as you get older, I think, especially a lot older, even older than you, you're not so much going to be prioritizing personal development. So I think the sooner we can learn these lessons, the better. Because as we age... It's like it's ingrained in you. It's how you are. You know.
3: Well, and this person even said that I think to you one time. It's too late. Yeah, it's too late. This is who I am. You either accept me the way I am or not. And I think it's true that we we the sooner we can face the consequences of our actions. That's why I do really and be uncomfortable. Like it's okay. Yes, I've had I've made a
2: lot of big mistakes in my life that have caused me extreme discomfort and i'm grateful for you and for the people in my life that did not um try to take on take that on there are things that i had to you know completely deal with by myself and fix by myself and make amends by myself and as painful and as scary and as lonely as that is it's also strengthening and fortifying, and it makes you confident and believe in yourself in a completely different way than if someone had to come in and removed it for you.
3: Well, it gives you a sense of power because if I come in and remove it for you, then you actually feel powerless. Or I'm giving you the message. If you don't actually feel powerless, I'm giving you the message that you're not capable. I learned this very early on after treatment, thinking that I never wanted you to feel like you weren't capable. So I was never going to try to jump and fix anything or try to, of course I help you, I'm your mother and all those kinds of things, but I was going to let you face the consequences of things that happened without, Oh, it's okay, Michelle. It, you, you really didn't do anything wrong or it's fine or trying to cover it up or fix it or anything, because you have to learn the, you know, the, you have to learn yeah. in situations. And that's why I actually really love Newton's third law in this. And I've thought about this a lot because it goes hand in hand with what the Buddha says. And Newton's third law, which many of you probably already know, is for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I believe this to be very true. And so much so I believe this to true that I allow myself to make mistakes, obviously, and not be try not to beat myself up too badly sometimes. But I love it when I actually learn something from an action that I've taken that wasn't serving me or others at all. And that wasn't in anybody's best interest because I just believe that action is going to have an equal or opposite reaction. So I might as well learn it. So I don't have to have that same lesson again. So I don't have to have that same teaching again.
2: Absolutely. I like
3: to get the teachings over with and move on to the next teaching. So it's very helpful, I think, to remember that.
2: 100%. Number five, it's not your job to be the peacekeeper for your entire family similar story here. Yeah. And
3: I thought that I was, I thought it was my job and, and thought it was my role in childhood to try to keep the peace with everyone and try to not allow anything to really get out of hand too much, even though it did anyway. It's kind of an interesting scenario that we get in when we're trying to be the peacekeeper in a chaotic situation or a dysfunctional situation. It's getting out of control anyway. It's not like we have the power to do that. We truly don't. But I think what it does, if you're a child it, it has you become a parent really fast. You start becoming and acting like a parent. And so people used to ask me in the early days, therapists would say, you know, what was it like being a child? I said, I don't think I ever was. Yeah. That was always my answer. I don't think I ever was a child. They you would were look,
2: a parentified child. Yeah.
3: They would look at me like, what do you mean? And I said, I don't remember ever playing as a child. I don't remember ever having fun as a child. I don't re- remember ever feeling carefree as a child. So... I think to mediate conflicts, I was always feeling like I needed to be in that parental role or I needed to have that parental responsibility. And so I think it sacrificed, I'm sure, some of my own needs, but also now that I look back on it and having you becoming a mother and having you and making sure that you were a child and that you did the things that children do and watching what children do, it was really interesting for me to see, wow, I never did any of these things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And of course this dynamic can be in adult relationships as well. I think it goes kind of hand in hand with if you're someone who identifies with trying to manage other people's emotions, you probably also try to be a peacekeeper.
3: Yeah, so I think it's important to become aware of the role that you you're playing in a family. Just being coming aware, uh, we yeah, talk about this all the time. Awareness is key, becoming aware because I think it you have to become aware it's, it's actually a prerequisite for you to be able to step out of it, for you to be able to see that, wait a minute, I'm in a role that's not, it's a no win.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: There is no way this will ever work. And I'm actually sacrificing my own life for it. I'm sacrificing my own ability to be able to be happier, to be able to enjoy life moment to moment. And just remembering it's not your job to save people from the consequences of actions, but yep. that also, it's a hard thing because it also means that you have to suffer through the consequences of other people's actions, especially if you're a child. Yes, you have to find, it's very layered. Yeah, you have to find ways to manage yourself during it all. And then you grow up and you go to therapy and you sort it all out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then you listen to this podcast exactly. <laughs> all right, number six, it's not your job to control how other people choose to behave. And I know this is similar to some of the other ones, but <clears throat> behaviors and emotions are obviously different. And you can probably speak to this a lot because I think you had a lot of anxiety about people's behavior <laughs> in your lives
3: for ever. I think I always wanted to jump between it all. Yeah. I always wanted to be in the middle of it. I was always trying to manage the middle. I, I just remember always feeling like I'm in the middle of everyone. I'm in the middle of trying to keep the peace. I'm in the middle of trying to control how other people are behaving. And it, it, it just, it's exhausting and it's very detrimental and chaotic and traumatic and dysfunctional. And we just have to remember that those kinds of things don't work. We have to really truly value ourselves enough to be able to know that we're worthy of more and I, and I think not. this is not just in childhood. I'm thinking more in adulthood now, that we're worthy of more, we're worthy of enough. And you're you're not responsible for other people. And this has come up a lot, I think, in the past few years, especially in our work. We get so many comments about this because the word narcissist has come up a lot. It's become a real buzzword, I think, in psychology today and just in people's minds today and in people's relationships today. And remembering that if if the person is truly a narcissist. The definition of a narcissist, there is no controlling that person's behavior and there is no changing that person's behavior. So it's really important to just not try to control or change other people or try to control or change other people's behaviors, understanding that the relationship is not going to be perfect maybe, or it's not going to look the way you want it to look. And so you try to figure out where your part is in it, and what do you want and what can you deal with and what can you sit with and what you what can you not? What are your non-negotiables and what are your things that are okay?
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of people who struggle with this and have anxiety when you're in a situation where someone else's behavior might seemingly be a reflection of you because you're in a close relationship with them or there may be some sort of representative of you. Just try to remember that no one, like you say, no one has the power to name who you are and other people's behaviors don't, don't have an influence on you. And I, it, that's where the anxiety, I think, would stem, at least from our family, of if someone acts a certain way, you know, we're looped in with it.
3: Well, and because it's tricky, because it will impact you, especially if it's a close relationship, you know, a family relationship, a partner relationship a marriage, all of those things. We are affected by it. We are impacted by it. And so what we need to do is understand, wait a minute, what's my role here? What can I do? What am I responsible for? And then what kind of conversation can I have with the other person? So it's, it's very, as you always say, Michelle, it's very layered, but it's really necessary because we're going to be spinning our wheels for year after year, after year, after year, if we think that we're going to be able to change other people's behaviors. And if we think we can jump between how to control them, it's just not possible.
2: Alrighty. Number seven, it's not your job to sacrifice your own basic needs to serve others. Another big one.
3: Yeah. Because I think it's, I mean, I've been in therapy a lot my 66 years. And so I think what I learned a lot from just about every therapist I've ever spoken to is that if I'm afraid of how my partner's going to react, or if I'm thinking that I have to try to give up on something that's important to me or something that I actually need in my life. Uh, it's a form of mental abuse. It's truly not okay. We can't sacrifice our own needs or our own, our own wishes. And that's not a selfish thing. We, we truly can't give up ourselves for another person. We can give of ourselves, but we can't give over our whole selves And so the only way that I believe that we can help others is by being full ourselves, is by truly being empowered and strong and knowing who we are and being able to have our cup full before we can start helping other people fill their cups and start serving the needs of other people. We can't serve the needs of other people at the expense of our own needs and our own energies and our own basic humanity, really.
2: Yeah. You know, there's that old quote, you can't pour from an empty cup. And this is the epitome of that. And it's, it's our own responsibility to know our boundaries, our needs, how we can fortify ourselves so that we can be in the world and knowing, you know, what is self-love and self-care and how to fill our cup so that we can be of service
3: in the world. And this kind of goes back to that Bronnie Ware quote, the hospice <laughs> quote that you know if you may think that it's okay to be doing it right now, especially if you're younger. But, you know, time marches on and we we grow old if we're fortunate enough to grow old. And as you start to grow older and older and you start having less years on on the front side than you do on the back side, you really start to say, "Wow, I truly am Running out of time. But you time. also
2: just never know when your time is up. No. So why said, not just live your life but how but, you want right now?
3: Yeah, exactly. But I'm saying though, that if you can really be aware that time is our most precious resource and we can't get it back and we can't get more of it. And once you start to realize that it becomes a very great motivator for not sacrificing your own basic needs and yourself for the needs of another person to make sure that you are full. And that you are in knowing that you are enough and worthy is, is vital. It is vital to your life. And it's vital to living the life that you came here to live.
2: Yep. And number eight, it is not your job to keep everyone around you happy.
3: I think I really, this is kind of goes a little bit hand in hand with managing other people's moods, but it's actually different. It's got a different slant to it. I always felt like I wanted everyone to be happy. And I think it's because I lived in such a chaotic household as a child. And then as an adult, I lived in a very chaotic household. It seems to be what I attracted a lot in my life. And I just wanted everyone to be happy. I just wanted, I just, just wanted everyone to be happy. And so I would do things to try to please people. That's how I became a people pleaser. I thought if I please people, they'll be happy. And... I think that that not only is not true. I think all of you listening have probably experienced that false statement that pleasing others doesn't make them happy or you happy. Uh, it's it's actually also stealing your own joy and your own ability to be able to be a human being, and actually experience the full range of emotions, range of emotions, and be who you are, and be unhappy if you want to be unhappy or be sad, be uh, frustrated. Be irritated. I think it. What I realize it it made me stuff my emotions down, and I'm sure that I'm not. I'm sure I know that that had a very strong uh, implication on my bulimia. I know that I'm in treatment. My first thing my therapist said is, "How you feel today, Barb?" And I would say, "I don't know." Yeah. She said that kind of seems to be the thing with you your whole life, isn't it? And I said, "Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel."
2: Yeah, and I think people don't like to feel controlled and manipulated, even if it is to be happy. You know, if you're trying to do something to force someone to be happy or to manipulate a situation to have an outcome with what you want, people can feel that. And then that's, I think, what breeds resentment because even if it is, it's like going back to those intentions versus impact conversation. Even though you intend to do something good by maybe creating a situation that you think would make everybody happy, if it's, you know, in a controlling way or in a manipulative way, people can feel that and that won't necessarily have the impact that you're hoping for and will kind of create even more problems. So to your point, it's like, let people feel their feelings let people be and accept how they are and know that you can't, you really can't force another feeling on somebody else. And we can just show up and be loving and kind and accepting. Um, but when we get into the emotional manipulation, it just doesn't feel good on the receiving end of it.
3: Beautifully said, Michelle. And I think, I think actually the most valuable thing that we can do for another person when they're feeling sad or angry or frustrated or whatever it is, uh heartbroken, is just to be as you said, just be there for them without trying to invade them or change them or get rid of their feelings. Just actually be there and let them express their feelings to you. Because I think one of the things that I've been told by many people is that I'm a good listener. And I you know, it took me a while to be able to be a person that could just be with feelings because I didn't even know what I was feeling as I said. But I think over the years learning how to listen without rushing to fix things is a very very powerful practice.
2: Mm.
3: It's a powerful practice for us as listeners but it's also powerful for the person that is being vulnerable and saying how they feel. How often do we get to be with another person and be vulnerable and say how we feel and the other person just listens. They're not trying to fix it or change it or or get rid of it, or whatever it is, they're just actually just being there. It's really powerful, and it's actually a beautiful, beautiful practice.
2: Very, very true, and a good um, something to think about. Number nine, it is not your responsibility or your job to try to change or fix other people. Another big one, I think a lot of us at some point have been in relationships with people where we kind of fall for the potential, Where we think, oh, they're good now, but a little bit of time with me and they'll be perfect. And then we'll be a perfect match. Or, you know, in a few years, they'll learn the lessons that I want them to learn and and it'll be good. Where I can be a good influence on this person and they'll they'll be the person that I want them to be. Which has a lot of things wrong with it. It it goes along with the manipulation and... Um, control, but you can't force another person to change. Even if the change that you're trying to force is obviously for the good of that person.
3: Yeah. I think this falls right in alignment with the addiction, mental illness, or any of those kinds of things where we think the other person is harming themselves and really, really going down a path that could could one day kill them or is really causing a lot of turmoil and a lot of dysfunction and chaos and trauma in the immediate family. But I, I, you're right. We can't do anything. We we can just, we can just have our own behaviors about it and set boundaries and do all of the things that we need to do, but we can't try to fix them because I fell into that fix it role. I thought it was my job to make sure that, you know, both my parents were alcoholics. So I, I got my mom into treatment, all the things. And we can't, we can't rescue. I think I, I, I not I think I know. I became the rescuer. Like I have to fix this. I have to rescue them. They, they're gonna, they're gonna eventually see that this is ruining their lives, and it caused so much trauma and drama and, and chaos in our family structure. They're gonna, they're gonna one day see the light. <laughs> they're gonna one day see the light, and it's all gonna be okay. This all has to be okay. This, this can't just keep going on like this. This can't be like this. When in reality it could and it did and so our job is to see we can speak our peace and speak our mind and be caring and loving and say look this is what i feel and this is what i think is happening and this is what what i what i'd love to see but it is their responsibility if it's an addiction or whatever to get into treatment or recovery and we can't force people to do anything as you said Michelle but we can be there and love them without thinking that we can fix them or rescue them and have the boundaries that we need for our own mental well-being.
2: Yeah, and even if it's not something as serious as addiction, even if it's just a a difference in values, you can't force someone to have the same values as you. You know, I was in a relationship with someone in my early 20s who really valued going out with friends, and I kept wanting him to value spending more time with me and that was a constant argument and i could not force or will that value to change and it caused a lot of difficulty and hardship and sadness but ultimately like that's who he was and i am who i am and i could not change him and he couldn't change me so i think just noticing if the values aren't aligned in that way um you know, being sometimes brutally honest with yourself and seeing maybe this isn't a right fit as well and not trying to force a change on that person, but say, look, like you need to do you, I need to do me. And I just don't think that this goes together. And that's also obviously very difficult, but coming to that awareness and that truth is so much less painful than spending years and years and years with some sort of false sense of hope that one day something will change. And knowing that. That might not even be a possibility.
3: Yeah. And especially if it's one of your non-negotiables of something that you need and you deeply desire thinking one day it'll change or maybe one day you'll be okay without it. It's just, it it usually just doesn't work that way. If it's something that we really, really, really feel like it's important for us, it's a value, as you said, or it's something that we really, really want and it's something that we really value and is important, it's not likely that we're going to be all right not having it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it is very important to be in alignment and and be honest.
2: Honesty saves everyone's time. Alrighty and number 10, it is not your responsibility to say yes every time someone wants something from
3: you. Eve this is such a big one. It's so interesting every time I read this or every time I see this idea or I see comments and, it is so hard to say no sometimes. It is really hard. So many people talk about this, and I myself even. I just had a situation recently where someone asked me to do something, I said yes, and then I, I was talking with one of my coworkers, and I said, I don't even know why I said yes. I don't even want to say yes. I don't even want to do it. So I think I'm not alone in this. I think we all fall into these situations. And it's so important what I've realized for myself if, since I do struggle with saying no, especially to people that are close friends or especially the people that I truly, truly care about a lot, usually I feel put on the spot. So I just say yes. And it's not really the case. Even if we feel like we're put on the spot, we still can take a pause and say, I'll get back to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's so, for me, it's been so important to say that because I would not have fallen into this situation that happened recently if I had said that. So let me get back to you. Let me, let me see if that's something I can do. And if we know it's a no, then being honest and saying, you know what, I'd love to be able to do that for you, but I can't, you know, or it's not, it's just not something that I can do right now. Maybe something else will come along or whatever it is that we feel like we have to say in the situation with who we're dealing with. I don't usually have any trouble saying no if it's, if it's not a really close relationship. And I think part of that is this idea, that quote from Paolo Coelho, when he says, when you say no to others, make sure you're not saying no to yourself.
2: When you're saying yes to I others. I mean, when you're
3: saying, yes, thank you. <laughs> when you're saying yes to others, make sure you're not saying no to yourself. Because more often than not, when I would just say yes to people, it, I was saying no to myself. I would go home and say, oh my gosh, why did I say yes? I, I don't want to do this. And it was a practice for me. For a long time, I would. it was hard for me not to say no, but then I would force myself to pick up the phone and say, I know that I told you yes, but I actually can't. And that was even harder. So save yourself the trouble by saying no first and not not needing to honor yourself later and say no later.
2: Well, and uh, really think about why you're feeling pressured to say yes to things. And if you're in relationships with people that are going to judge you or treat you differently, if you're not always saying yes, Um, I think sometimes we think that if we don't say yes, people won't like us anymore, but i I'm so grateful that I'm in a stage in my life where I'm in friendships and relationships where I can say no and not feel that pressure. It is, you know, do you want to come? Sorry, I can't. Okay. It's cool. See you next time.
3: It's very hard. It's very interesting. I was talking about this at a workshop once years ago. And during the Q&A, someone asked me, they said, Barb, it might be easy for you to say this, but for me, it's not because I know if I say no, my friends won't call me back. Yeah, it's sad. Or I know that I won't be invited again because it's happened to me so many times if I say no. So I say yes, because I want to be invited. And it, it did, it, it it actually brought tears to my eyes during this Q&A because I thought, there are situations like that. Um, I I mean, I think there are situations like that and I don't know, I don't know. I think, I think the answer is just always, always doing your best as best you're able to be in alignment with what, what feels right for you and feels good for you. And if you're feeling like you need to go, then say yes and go. Like there's no absolutes. I didn't want her to feel like you always, you know, even if she didn't want to go, she often told me later, she said, you know, I didn't want to go. And then I went and I had a good time. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're, it it, it just really depends. Just here's what I've, here's what I've been trying to live by. If I say yes, and later I'm really regretting it and ruminating about it. And oh my gosh, I don't know why I said yes, I don't want to, blah, blah. Then, then, then that's a a red flag for me. Well, it's really all about
2: awareness and understanding yourself and your wants and needs and how you're feeling in a given moment
3: and not, and not needing that yes to have people like you. Cause I think, I think I'm sure that that's what I was doing in my early days for sure. And, and I'm sure times in the days today, you know, wanting, wanting people to like me or wanting people to think that I'm a good person. And that idea, we can be a good person and we can be a kind person and we can be a heartfelt person and still say no. Like it doesn't define us by saying no. It doesn't mean we're not a good person. It doesn't mean we don't have a heart. It doesn't mean that we're not kind. I think it's so crazy that we've aligned goodness and kindness and heartfelt with saying yes. Right. So maybe start, if, that's, if this is a thing for you, start teasing apart that idea that saying yes has to, means all of this and saying no mean, doesn't mean all of this. Absolutely. You can't be a good person. Absolutely. And be kind-hearted and say no.
2: Yeah, no is not bad. It, I mean, it, there's yes and there's no. They're both options for us. So lean into your option of no as well. Love that. Wow, we made it through all 10 in one show. That is a real win for us.
3: Well, I hope this has been helpful for all of you. It's it, They're kind of, a lot of them are intertwined with each other.
2: Yeah, they're all new ones, but I think they're all hopefully helpful for you.
3: Well, really, it's just about getting to know yourself, becoming aware of who you are and what you need and what you want to live your one wild and precious life, being successful and happy and comfortable in your own skin. So, thank you, Michelle, for thank having you. this conversation Thank you for today. sharing
2: with us. I hope that some of these reminders of things that are not your responsibility were helpful. And even if they're difficult to digest, just sit and think about them and notice how maybe some of these dynamics come up in your lives and just see um, how they show up and how you want to interact with it and maybe how you want to engage differently. These are all just little nudges and just take little baby steps and like you always say, be the scientist of your life.
3: One of the things, if I could just add, one of the things I say to myself often when I'm falling into one of these 10 is I'll say, this is not my job. For some reason that really gets me. This is not my job. And I'm trying to do a job that I am not responsible for, nor am I capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And it just really puts me in the right space of saying no, or not, not taking on one of these things because they're truly not, these are not your job. These 10 things are not your job. Yeah. So let's help me.
2: They're not, and I know that sometimes it feels like they are, but again, this is just like rewiring and creating new neural pathways in the brain one day at a time. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Barb Knows Best community. We're so grateful for all of you. If you haven't yet, please make sure you're liked and subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify. If you're loving the show, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and Spotify and leave a love note for us. We would appreciate that and it's really helpful for the show. If you'd like to stay in touch with us, ask us questions and give us future podcast topic requests, give us a follow on social media at Peaceful Barb at Michelle Maros and Barb Knows Best Pod lastly if you haven't yet check out the barb knows best pod merch we still have some styles that are on sale so go check it out there will be a link in the show notes and grab a hoodie for your summer travels so we can be twins thank you so much again for listening and we'll chat with you next week because as we know barb knows best bye